on the screen, just to give you some ideas of things you might like to find out. If you don't know the person's name, but I think we all pretty much know each other here, but if you don't know, ask, find out each other's names, perhaps where you were born, where you live, what you do, favorite color, food, least favorite food, favorite chocolate, favorite animal, um, dream holiday destination, anything like that. But you've only got a very short while, so one person can tell everything they can to the other person, and then I'll say switch, and then you'll have a chance for the other person to tell all the information. Okay? So there's a little bit of a trick in this, because once you've found out as much as you can, you're then going to join together with another pair of fruits, and... Um, <laughs> No, fruits. So if Ian and I are together and Ian has told me all about himself, it's up to me to tell somebody else about Ian. Okay, so I have to really have listened to what Ian has told me so that I can pass that information on to the other person. Okay, so here's your fruit. No notes, no notes, just listening. There you go. Have you got Saban? You've got? No, you've got to play. You have to play. Somebody will come to you. <laughs> there we go. Right, off you go. Find your fruit. If you're a strawberry, you'll have to come to Andy. Right, so walk around, find your fruit. Come along, Joy, come and find your fruit. Pineapple, is one? Yeah. Fruit. Right, off you go. So your first person can talk. Can I get your fruits back? Is that? Thank you. Wow. Okay, so get, let's get back to where we were seated earlier. <laughs> Is there anyone who's brave enough to tell us something that they learn not from their fellow fruit, but from the other group. So in other words, something that you heard secondhand. Is anyone up to remembering that? Yeah. You're yeah. gonna try? Well, it was really Sidon's fault. Right. <laughs> but you can't blame Sidon because we were eerily Andy's fault. Andy's and his least favourite That was mine. He, he was repeating what I... Yes, oh, so you picked up a, a little bit incorrect there. Who was your partner, Sibon? Nora. Nora. And who did you join up with? This, uh, so, Nora, can you remember anything about any of the other people? 
Wow. Good. Who were you with? So can you remember anything about Rob? Yes, he wants to go on holiday to America. He's retired. He lives in Stratford. Um, and his least favourite food... Oh, I've forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I know. I can't remember. I can remember. <laughs> Excellent. So did we all find out something a bit interesting that we didn't know before? Yeah. Brilliant. So hopefully that's been a useful exercise in itself but hopefully we'll be able to use it a little later um, just as a bit of an illustration. So as you know, John isn't here. He's been doing an amazing series on Nehemiah, and I think he's done two. We've got some musical. Um, I'm not going to be picking up on Nehemiah. I might make a couple of references to it, but I'm going to do something a little bit different. And when I was thinking about what to do today, the topic came to mind, and I thought, well, Lord, we know that. That's a pretty, you know, obvious one. But it's something that the Lord's been challenging me, just to take a little bit deeper. So I hope it will be a challenge for you as well. So it's titled Knowing God, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, with the emphasis on verses 7 to 11, but we'll have a look at it in, in a bit of context to begin with. So this is the chapter when Paul is warning the church at Philippi about listening to other Jewish Christians who were still trying to push the whole circumcision and the need to obey the law, that grace wasn't enough, that we had to have the circumcision and the law as well. And, and Paul was warning against this kind of teaching. And so that's the first few verses. Um, about putting confidence in the flesh. And then he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But then here's the crunch from verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And I was just thinking, you know, before Paul became Paul, when he was still Saul, he had it all. He was born into the right family. He had the right ancestry. He had the right connections. He lived an exemplary Jewish life. He even learned Hebrew, unlike a lot of his fellow Jews who just knew Greek. He even learned Hebrew. 
He was educated. He was the best in his field. He was a Pharisee. He was passionate about what he did. He was successful persecuting the Christians because that's what he thought his duty was. And if we contrast that to his life where he was writing this letter from, he was in prison. And they say that he, it was possibly at the end of about a two-year prison time that he was writing this letter. So if you can contrast that kind of lifestyle that he had before he came into contact with God and after, it's, it's quite amazing. And yet he says with confidence, all he had before was like rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And it doesn't mean that he didn't value any of those other things. It didn't mean that he didn't value the other things in life or he buried his head from the demands and the realities of life. But everything was seen in comparison to it, to knowing Christ. And nothing had meaning for him that didn't come out of knowing Christ. Now, that word know, it really bothers me because I'm a teacher. I know it's a verb, a doing word. But unlike other doing words, you can, you can demonstrate it, can't you? I can jump. I can sing. Well, I can't really, but I can, I can try. I can clap my hands. I can wave. Those verbs I can do. I can see evidence of doing those. But knowing We've done a bit of knowing this morning. We've asked each other questions, and so we know some facts about one another. But does that mean we know each other? So I know that if Andy comes to dinner, I'm not going to give him black pudding, right? So I've got that fact, and he's not going to give me liver because he knows I don't like it. But do I know him? I can give evidence that I have knowledge of him, but do I know and even when we do get to know somebody, you know, if we are in a relationship, a friendship, or a marriage, and we get to know somebody, and then suddenly they do something or say something, and you think, oh, maybe I don't know them as well as I thought I did. Even when we know God, we think we've got him sorted. We think we know exactly what he's thinking, and then something happens to us, or to somebody else, and you think, do I really know God? He's done something out of character, out of the character that I thought I knew. And so that knowing, it, it's, like, it's a bit like a slippery bar of soap. You just, you just get it, and then it, it slips out of your grasp again. And when I was looking again at this chapter, if we just go on to, Andy, the next The word that I always focus on often is power. We want the power, don't we? As Christians, we want that power to pray for people and to see things change and to see things happen. But that's in the context. And it's in the context of knowing Christ. So knowing the power springs out of that. But how do we actually know? I don't think it's a box we can just tick and say, I know God. Just like we can't tick the box and say we know the person that we're married to or we know our best friend. I think it's a process, and it's a process that just grows 
and changes. And sometimes we have to let go of things that we've held on to quite dearly. Bits of knowledge that we think, no, no, I know God is like this. Or I know this person is like this. And then, actually, no, maybe I, I didn't quite get that fully. And so it's about letting go and accepting new bits of knowing. Now, I haven't personally... Face forward. Face forward. I haven't personally counted them, but if my Google search is to be believed, there are 83 scriptures about knowing God. My favorite one is, be still and know that I am God. And that's obviously from Psalm 46. Whenever I read that, I think of a retreat I went on many years ago in South Africa. And I was leading the retreat, and we had gone into a garden just to sit quietly. And I kind of sat under a tree, and I was a bit rushed from having got everybody there and got everybody started off. So I was just calming myself and getting myself settled. And I saw these birds hopping closer and closer to me. They obviously didn't realize I was sitting there, so I, I just sat dead still. And they were just pecking on the ground, completely oblivious to the fact that I was there. And I remember looking and noticing the minute detail, the feathers, the beak, the scales on the feet, the claws, and it just hopped closer and closer, and I was just hardly daring to breathe. It got, it got so close. And I remember thinking, how come I've not noticed that detail before? And a very clear thought came to my mind, it's because you've never sat this still before. And I thought, wow, I'd seen birds in it from a distance. I knew what birds looked like, but I just hadn't seen that detail myself ever before, because I'd never been that close to a bird. And I realized, you know, we do learn things about God in the hustle and the bustle of life, but it's that being still and taking time in the midst of the busyness that gives us the opportunity to notice details we might otherwise miss. John spoke last week, I know I wasn't here, but I, I read his notes, about Nehemiah spending months praying before his big moment with the king. And so when he was in the king's presence, in the thick of that nerve-wracking moment, he did shoot up a prayer. And that, that prayer, those prayers are, are effective. But it was the time alone with God that had prepared him for that moment. He knew God. He knew what God wanted. And he knew the boldness that was given to him in that moment because of the time that he'd spent in God's presence. And as John pointed out, we just read it in the scripture as one verse on to the next. He prayed and fasted. Next minute, he's in the presence of the king. But as he pointed out, there was a big gap between that. And each day, he had gone into God's presence, preparing for that moment. And so, for me, the first key to knowing God is time. And that's time spent away from the demands of the moment. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But our fast-paced lifestyles make that often quite difficult. And I've begun to learn and to realize that if I don't plan it in, it isn't going to happen. You know, sometimes I can be quite unrealistic, and I go to bed with such a good intention. Yeah, I'm going to set my alarm for 5 o'clock, and I'm going to get up at 5, and I'm going to spend an hour, and then I'm going to go off to work. You know, and 5 o'clock goes, 
the alarm goes off and I kind of just say, oh, you know, I didn't have such a good night. Just a few minutes more. And before I know it, it's 6 o'clock and I'm up and I've got to get ready and I've got to go. And then I beat myself up. Why didn't I do it? And I'm beginning to realize, just be realistic. What does work? And so for myself, I've been thinking, well, okay, if I get up and I get, try and get to work a bit earlier and then before I start my day, I'm awake and I'm sitting at work and I get out my Bible and I just spend some time, and then I spend some time in the evening. So I'm finding out what works for me, but I'm planning it in rather than just waiting for it to happen. But even more than that, I think we need time away, away from the norm of the day, and not away from mowing the grass on the weekend and doing the washing, and just that time to sit and to be still and to be quiet. And I'm learning to take that time to plan a day away or an afternoon away. And I've been talking to John about possibly us all going somewhere for a week. Not a week, sorry, that would be lovely. Um, an afternoon, one Saturday, just to spend some time in God's presence and just listening to him. So one of the keys, as I said, to knowing God is time. But I think it's more than that. We took time this morning to get to know each other. But if we weren't paying attention that time wouldn't really have been very effective. We've got very dear friends, and they live about two hours away. Last year in the summer, I took a train to go and visit them. And while I was making plans for the visit, my friend texted me and said, she's so excited to see me and to find out and to catch up about where I am and what's been going on. When I got there, apart from a hello and a goodbye, and maybe one sentence in between, that's, that's about all I got to say. She was just so enthusiastic about catching me up on everything that had gone off in their lives. But I had a good day, and I was back on the train going home, and she sent me a text to say, I'm so disappointed, I didn't find out about how you were. I thought, well, you didn't really keep quiet long enough to ask or to even listen. She'd ask me a question, and I'd go to give an answer, and she would go off on a tangent. So I think we do need to be attentive. That is a key. We need to stop talking sometimes, even stop reading the Bible. Not forever, but just stop for a few moments. Stop searching, stop striving, stop talking. Just be still. So the second key then is attention. If we've got the keys up, brilliant. The third key is motivation. And this is key because I think a lot of us need to admit that some of the time we're just not very motivated. When disaster hits, when crisis comes, obviously we find the time, don't we? We get on our knees, we make up for lost time, and we hope to have a quick fix to the discomfort that we're in. And there's no condemnation in that because I've done it before. You know, the weeks just rush by and I'm busy and things are going okay and then suddenly something happens. It's, oh God, you know, get down on my knees again. And I think it's okay to ask God to give us the desire. I don't know if many of you know A.W. Towser, but he expresses this very well. I just love his prayer. O oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire, O oh God, the triune God. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. 
I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Isn't that amazing? It's just going deeper. I want to want you, God. And that was just such a revelation to me that it's okay to ask God to give me the desire because so often I beat myself up that I haven't had the desire. But we can ask God, help us to want you more. I was just struck, you know, Towser was clearly seeking such a deep and intimate relationship with God. And that's God's desire for us. When he created us, he created Adam and Eve for relationship with him, to walk and talk in the garden. There was nothing better than that relationship. And it was their choices that created that gap that exists between us and God. But we know that gap's been filled by Jesus. In the Old Testament, we know the Israelites could only get so close to God. Then there was the veil. And even the, the high priest could only go through that veil once a year. But the people were separated from that holy of holies. But we know in Matthew 27, 51, at the moment Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There's nothing standing in the way of us having that intimate, deep knowledge of God. We don't have to rely on that second-hand information or third-hand information. We can come with confidence into the throne room and hear from God himself. It's so easy, isn't it, to leave that intimate stuff to other people. Let me get on with my week and let John or the pastor enter the Holy of Holies while we get on and let him find out what God wants and let him come to church and tell us. It doesn't mean that there's no value in learning about God from others. It can enrich us, but it can never substitute for that intimacy that we have with God ourselves. Perhaps this morning you've learned from somebody else about somebody else. You've got a glimpse of that person, but you can't claim to know them. You can't claim to know what motivates them, what makes them sad. To do that, you'd have to spend personal time with them um, and grow with that person and grow to know them. And, you know, I think sermons are amazing. I, when I listen to John and I read his notes, they're just incredible. He, we are so gifted, and I hope he's going to listen to this. Um, but it can, <laughs> it can never replace that personal, intimate knowing God. As good as John is, as much time as he spends with God, as amazing a word as he gives us every week, if we don't go home and check it out and chew over it and get out those gems for ourselves, it, it just becomes a piece of weekly entertainment. So I really want to encourage you. It's something that I've been doing over the last couple of years is just take notes. You know, scribble down. Write down some notes during the sermons. Um, go and listen to them again. I believe they're being recorded and uploaded onto the website. And just chew over what it is that God has said through somebody else, asking God to make it a really personal bit of knowledge for you. But more than that, I want to challenge us just to get adventurous. You know, God created us. He made us unique. Um, he knows what will reach each one of us. So instead of striving and trying to figure out how can we hear from God, is it going to be a voice? Is it going to be a word from somebody else? Is it going to be something from the Bible? How will we know? Let's just look inside ourselves. What, what gifts has he given us? What 
things has he given us that make us feel alive? Do we love music, nature, art, reading, writing, walking? What are those natural things in us that God has placed there that we can use to get to know him more? I think sometimes we mystify the whole experience of knowing God when God is actually trying to communicate to us in just ordinary ways. He's around us all the time. Now, I'm not musical, but music has been a significant resource for me. Over the last couple of years, I didn't have the words to speak to God. I was in pain, I was confused, I had doubts, and things were just overwhelming me. But I had a Wren Collective CD called The Art of Celebration, and I just played that to work, to and from work every day. And it was those words based in scripture that were such a source of encouragement to me. Over the years, I've also been developing a habit of just sitting quietly, maybe with a lit candle, just saying to God, I'm in your presence. I know I can be here because of Jesus. I don't deserve to be, but I know I can be. And I just asked through your Holy Spirit, you would transform my spirit. I don't know what to say. And just to sit in silence, and it's something we find really hard to do in this fast-paced world where there's always stuff going on. It's just maybe to sit quietly in silence for 5, 10, 20 minutes, and then quietly thanking God afterwards for the fruit that will come from that time. Because what I've noted is sometimes nothing actually happens in that moment. I don't suddenly have an amazing revelation, but as I go through the day, I'm often surprised at the little things that I notice, things that have been there all along, but it feels like my spirit is focused in and tuned in to notice stuff. And so I think when we spend time with God, we mustn't be disappointed when there's no obvious revelation, but be prepared for those effects and the results of that time to bear fruit in hours, in weeks, in months afterwards, but believe that the fruit will come, just like Nehemiah did. He knew the fruit would come, and it did. So just to wrap it up then, we know God wants to make himself known to us. That's what he created us for, for relationship. Because of Jesus, we can come firsthand into his presence and we can build that intimate knowledge of God. We've looked at three keys to knowing God. We've looked at time, attention, and motivation. And I've just added a a fourth one, and that is intention. God isn't after perfection. You know, I think if we can't say, I've woken up every morning at half past four and and had an hour and a half with God every single day, that's not what he's after. He's not after perfection, but it's our intention to seek God and to know him more. We're going to have our ups and downs. We may sometimes get it wrong. We might think we hear from God. We might think we've, we've got a knowledge of him and something happens and it changes. But I think we've got to be open, just letting go and receiving and letting God change and evolve that knowledge in us as we genuinely seek to know him more. I'll leave the scripture with you this morning. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks will receive and anyone who seeks will find and the door will be open to those who knock. I just thought this morning, I'm going to ask Ian just to come up and just quietly play on the keyboard, be still, and know 
that I am God. And I thought if we could just sit quietly, and if you feel comfortable with your eyes closed, if you just simply rest your hands on your legs and turn them palms up, just as an outward expression of your willingness to receive. What do we need to know this morning? Do we need to know that it's okay to ask God for motivation, like tells it to want to know him more? Do we need to know that our hurts can be healed? Perhaps they're standing like a giant wall between us and God. Do we need wisdom about how to fit time into our crazy schedules? Do we need the assurance that we can just stop striving and we can be still and God will make himself known to us? Let's just take a moment just to be still. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you created us. You know us. You know where we are in our knowledge of you. You know, Lord, if we just know facts, that maybe we don't have a deep, intimate relationship. You know, Lord, if we've been disappointed when we thought we knew, and then something happened, and then we doubted whether we ever knew. You know us intimately, Father. And so we thank you that in confidence we know that as we spend time with you this week, maybe just in quiet, not striving, not searching, trying in our own strength to find knowledge and wisdom, but just being, just sitting still in your presence. We trust, Lord, that your spirit speak to our spirit and we will know on a deep level what it is that you are wanting to speak to us about, what you want to share with us.
just encourage you just to spend some time this week just being still and knowing that he is God we're going to close there but if anybody would like some prayer please I'll be standing over there and others will join me if we need more people but come and have some prayer if there's anything that you need this morning